1: Good morning and welcome to Exceptional Women on Magic 106.7. I'm Kendra Petroni and today we are talking with author, award-winning community mental health advocate, psychotherapist and certified life coach Asha Terry about the mental toll that this election is having on all of us. Asha's work is to enlighten, educate, and create safe spaces for everyone, from children to the elderly, to live more emotionally empowered, and to mentally be resilient. Her upcoming book is called Adulting as a Millennial, a guide to everything your parents didn't teach you. I'm so glad we have her on the show this morning. Welcome, Asha. Good morning.
2: Good morning. Thank you for having me.
1: So first, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into this career path.
2: Ah, well... The short of it is I'm a mental health provider and certified life coach. I'm based actually in New York, um, and I've been doing this work for 20 years. It's so mind-blowing it's been that long. And I got into it, honestly, because I thought I was going to be a nurse, but even after getting (laughs) accepted and doing two years of nursing school, I found out, yeah, I'm not quite fit for giving people needles (laughs) and things. So I wanted to still do something that could at least help people to learn how to take better care of themselves, and I switched over to human services and got a degree in social work and um, started my private practice almost seven years ago.
1: Wow. And what is your role as a certified life coach? I know a lot of people always wonder, what what is your main mission when it comes to that, to helping others?
2: Well, honestly, I want people to design a life that they love to live because I've transformed my own doing the same work. And really what I help people to do is three things. One, work on their mindset so that they actually can tolerate life as it comes abundantly and learn how to actually attract things that they want to do and live, um, more joy and happiness and love. And also, I try to help people to define what kind of life they honestly think that they do um, want to live because sometimes we imagine a life that we could live, but we don't believe we actually deserve it. So I really help people to try to define what that looks like. Um, from their relationships to the kind of money they want to earn and what they want to do as a life's purpose. And then lastly, I help them to start creating daily or weekly action steps to start doing the work that would transform a life they never thought that they could live. So for me, you know, I've always had a really good life, but I've made it quite um, prosperous because I do the work that I really love to do with the people that I'm only interested in working with. Um, I don't work every day, which has been a a really fortunate thing for me, Um, and my work is very diverse. I work with creatives and educators and people in the entertainment industry to lay people, Um, and it's been really an awesome ride just doing this work the way that I could have imagined it making the money that I want to make and having the days off to do things with people that I care about.
1: Is there a specific age group that you see mostly as clients, or is it sort of all over the map? Because I wonder, and I I imagine now in this time, that people of all ages and all walks of life would need some help and some guidance.
2: Very true. Actually my my catchment area is with millennials. That tends to be who's drawn to me. It's about ninety-eight percent of my private practice. Um, but usually the age group is somewhere between twenty five and forty five. So from the millennials up to like early Gen Xers, that's typically who I'm drawn to and who's drawn to me. Mostly people who are try to figure things out, Mm -hmm. uh, are very passionate, but don't quite have a clear focus as to what they want to do to define a life for themselves and not actually live the life that they see on TV or social media, but really live in their life and make it abundant. So those um, young professional people are the ones that I'm usually attracted to and come to me for services.
1: Well, you know, I'm so glad that we have you on at at this point in time because we are living in strange times and, you know, we're all waiting the outcome of an election. Everybody's got anxiety. How do we manage that anxiety during a time like this where everyone is just waiting and filled with so many emotions, watching TV and social media? How do we manage that?
2: Yeah, that's a great and powerful question. It's something that I actually have to do work on myself every day, just so I can model for people that mm-hmm. you can turn the TV off, you <laughs> can turn off your notifications. Um, one of the things that I do in my private practice as a, a clinician is I work with mindfulness. And so a lot of what is taking place in our world is people feeling this urgency and pressure to stay tuned in or to check in all the time. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I try to help people to just notice, like, what is that feeling coming up either in your chest or your stomach when you notice that maybe something else is going on in your environment from people talking about the election or Mm -hmm. talking about who's uh, doing what in the world and, and how to really connect that feeling and just observe it. And then with a wise mind, make the best decision for how you want to use that energy, that things, angst that we live with could be turned or converted into excitement. So maybe you take that energy and instead of looking at the news all day or finding out every moment who's tweeting about something, you Mm -hmm. put that towards working out, burning that energy elsewhere, um, doing something else with your mind. Uh, using the time to maybe connect with other people in a more meaningful way. We don't have to be turned in as much. We're going to typically know what's going on in the world because things happen on a loop in the news. Right. But we can help people to, like, center themselves, observe what's going on, you know, identify with, you know, words if possible, what that feeling is and where it's located in your body, what are the sensations that are coming up, and then with really sincere sincere intention decide what can you do. And those things that you can't do anything about, like deciding who's going to be the president,
0: mm-hmm.
2: put that energy elsewhere and, and try to be you know, mindful, like moment to moment awareness of where your head is going, what your thoughts are, what your body's feeling like. And you may have to do a little bit more work on your self-care than previous times just so that you don't feel this overwhelming rush of feelings and thoughts that just feel like they're taking over you.
1: And this question, you you might have already answered it, but social media is so big right now. And, And I've always thought that, you know, if you see someone, you know, writing something negative or something you disagree with on social media, don't leave a nasty comment. You know, maybe the best thing to do is scroll past it, take a deep breath before you write something that you'll regret. I mean, would you agree on that? Or what is the best way to handle something negative that you see on social media, sort of like an instant reaction? What would be your advice on how to handle that?
2: I actually do agree with that. I think one of the things that happens in our world these days is this pressure to respond to everything or Mm -hmm. to respond rapidly. Instead, it may seem um, unusual to go in the opposite direction when you see and you hear so much happening. But what I often tell people to do is pause. Everything doesn't require a response, Mm -hmm. number one, and it doesn't require you to respond right away. Sometimes people are... Reacting to something without having all of of the facts, um, having a lot of feeling about it, Mm -hmm. and then trying to also be in the mix of what's happening with the conversation. So people want to be seen, and so if something is triggering for you, investigate why that triggers you. Maybe you've heard something like that before. Maybe it's caused a rift in your relationships with one of your friends or your colleagues that you really admired. And, And this time that we're living in, people are really trying to put people in boxes Mm -hmm. so that they could decide how to deal with them. But friendships are going to change no matter what. I don't think we should limit it to people's political affiliations. Mm -hmm. I think we should really look at, like, why do we care about these people anyway, and why do we care about what someone says, and decide, like, does it matter to respond to this at all, or right now, or maybe you can come back to it when you're thinking a little bit more clearly and contribute to the conversation a little bit more insight instead of reactivity.
1: That's such a great way to think about it, to contribute to it. I I love that. And that goes into my next question with, you know, talking politics with family or even coworkers. It's such a sticky situation and it never really goes well in the most times. So how can we handle uncomfortable conversations like that? You know, how do we gracefully sort of bow out if something is making us uncomfortable, whether it's the pandemic or politics, with regard to family or even coworkers, mm-hmm.
2: there's a couple of different ways I advise people to do this. I think there's always been a lot of intensity around politics, religion, and money. Mm-hmm. and Thanksgiving is coming soon, Christmas <laughs> right after, so people may be congregating with others, and if those conversations come up, which they probably will, then one of the things we can do is again, stop ourselves from reacting to something that makes trigger a negative feeling or a series of thoughts about what this person is saying or who they are and judging it. And then deciding for yourself, what do you actually respond to? Maybe you can select a piece of the conversation to actually speak to and then change the subject. Or if you don't want to engage at all, actually say that. It's okay to let people know that you may not be where they are and you don't actually have the mindset to talk about this today or you're really exhausted and this is not on your periphery. So you just let people know where you are and be honest about that and then either remove yourself from the conversation, change the subject, or let people know that this is not something you're interested in engaging in. And if they continue to persist, let them know what your boundary is if you continue I'll, you know, I'll just leave the conversation. I'll come back when we can talk about something else. Or I'm going to ask that we just not actually hold space for this at all. So be clear about what you will do should you find yourself in those situations. And you may have to actually rehearse that.
1: You know, our kids are really watching everything we do. I have three young kids, six, seven, and ten. And they're taking in all of our emotions, whether it's in regard to the political climate or the pandemic. What's your best piece of advice for any parent out there, even like myself? How do we talk to our kids about what's happening in a neutral and sort of positive way?
2: Yeah, I like that question a lot. I was actually just watching something before this call on social media where I think we're showing our kids a lot of times how we're pitting ourselves against other people. It's like, Mm -hmm. I have this belief, you don't. It's the them versus us mentality. Mm -hmm. And kids do model that. They take that to school and they take that into their relationships and then, you know, that creates some of the other dynamics of bullying and harassing. So one thing is to use every opportunity as a lesson, you know, a way to inform or increase kids' capacity for tolerance. And I think we live in such a time where cancel culture is very, very popular. Um, People want to us and them each other. And this is where we can actually, you know, take a moment, reflect on our own principles and what it is we want our children to learn from this time and help them to start critically thinking about it. I mean, kids are very, very smart. And I think we underassume how intelligent they already are, even if they don't have the language for certain things. They're observing and they're, you know, maybe even contemplating in some ways. But they're also going to model or mimic what we do, how we say things, how we respond or react to people. So get down to their eye level, maybe use dinner time or lunch hour as an opportunity to actually talk about what's going on in the world and ask them what they think about it. And if they don't have the language because they may be too young, they can draw a picture about it and they can tell you what their picture describe. you know, they can describe their picture to you. But we really should start checking with our kids about what they're aware of and then speak in a language that's familiar to them and also help them to ground themselves because maybe they could be feeling a lot of different feelings and we're not quite aware because we don't see it or we think it's misbehavior. So let's just notice the behaviors, let's talk to them, let's help them to um, analyze in their own way what's happening and then let's just see what they think about it and not draw a conclusion, just let them have their own opinions and thoughts.
1: That's a good point. Well, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Exceptional Women on Magic 106.7, and we've been talking with Asha Terry. She's an author, award-winning community mental health advocate, psychotherapist, and certified life coach. She's here to talk with us about the mental toll that the election is having on us and how we can best navigate through that and the pandemic. Let's get back to our conversation. You have a new book. It's called Adulting as a Millennial, a guide to everything your parents didn't teach you. Talk to us about the book and what you hope readers will take from.
2: Yeah, thank you for that. It's a book I'm really excited about. It's the first time I've ever written something. It's literally a guide, so it's a small, quick, easy read. It has a lot of anecdotes about my own life and the ways in which I transformed my my life. It goes all the way back to my uh, adolescent years where every single thing um, I actually learned along the way contributes to the successful person that I am today. And I think so many times, especially for young adults, They don't think of themselves as already having history or having experience. And what I say is that everything that you've done builds off something else that you're going to do. For example, me running a student um, organization or being a part of a creative group in my high school years actually contributed to the development of a nonprofit I once had. Um, me having exposure to the arts actually has been very helpful to me now in my career where I actually work with and counsel and coach people in the creative arts. So, you know, we have mentors. Some people maybe don't. I was fortunate enough to have mentors in my life, and I learned something from each one of them. Now, did I learn it as I was living it? No, because when we're teens, we think we know everything, and we don't take the advice of people who've lived longer But as I age and I reflect back on the many, many people who came to my life, from my college professor to my father to um, other women um, who I was able to be around in my childhood, they all played a part in developing the person that I am, who's more tenacious now and resilient. So all of that I'm grateful for. And this book really shows you how to trace that history, use the lessons that you've learned, even if it's not directly from your parents, but from other people in your life.
1: You know, I feel like every generation and we've talked about this even on our morning show, every generation sort of feels like they're going through the hardest of times. But what's your take on this time, this generation and the stress and anxiety that they may feel? Do you think they have it worse off than maybe previous generations or are we all sort of equal in our own situation with what we're going through in the world, with the environment, with the news, etc.? I try not to compare too much
2: because I think um, experience speaks for itself and it's subjective, Mm -hmm. Um, but also I I do just on the outside looking in would say I can't, even in the history um, that I've read or I've lived through, say that I've seen anything quite like what these young people are going through now. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I'm a, a cusper, so I'm on the generation of the Xers um, and the generation that we're in now, of Generation X, I mean Generation Millennials. Mm-hmm. So for me, I didn't grow up necessarily with this like turning to my cell phone every minute, right. texting, um, yep. all of that. Didn't you know? So this is just the high rates of unemployment, mm-hmm. um, debt. Uh, people having to return home, live with multiple people at once to be able to survive working and being able to afford their lifestyle, that's never been the case for previous generations to this degree. And so I do think that they're in a very precarious time, but at the same time, I think they're quite resilient and bold and um, very willing to try new things. So it's hard to say. I think sometimes the toughest experiences make people the more re- most resilient and I think we're going to have to wait for the next maybe five to 10 years to really see what this time has actually created in terms of either more leaders or more people may be suffering from, from mental health challenges. I mm-hmm. really don't know yet, but I do think it is a very unique time.
1: You know, mental health is it's such a crucial problem in this country. And I'm curious to know your thoughts on on what are some of the main issues that really concern you the most when it comes to those who are suffering from mental health and how these issues are being dealt with right now?
2: Yeah, I appreciate that question. Honestly, the the biggest concern for me isn't the sufferer. It's, it's our economy. It's the way our government responds to treatment or Mm -hmm. lack thereof for for certain communities. Um, It's the way that our, um, I think health system, our educational system, even our employment system and housing as well is set up to where you either have to struggle to just barely make ends meet um, or you have to work yourself to the bone to literally try to have a decent life. And when I think of America, I don't think of it being that way for most people, but it It is. is. Um, We have high rates of homelessness, Uh, child poverty, um, single parent income with, you know, people having to really stretch their dollar to make, you know, things work on a regular basis. And I just feel like we're in this time where if people are mentally challenged by that, it's not because they're not doing enough. It's really because the systems are set up to where people have to struggle. And that's Mm -hmm. so unfortunate. And it's um, unfair to a lot of people who work really hard who are tenacious, who want a better life, but just no matter where they are, they can't seem to get a break. And so I just feel like, We're not treating our citizens in the way that we um, as Americans think of ourselves in terms of being caring and and community-based. I think we're really setting up a system to where people have to either be extremely wealthy, which are only a few, Mm -hmm. or you're going to basically just be living above the poverty line. And that creates mental stressors that then create traumas with people not being able to maintain work. Um, mental health is a high. Um, there's a high disability rate with mental illness,
1: mm-hmm. and
2: I think it creates other symptoms in relationships and people's survival.
1: Right, and I would also add that I think there is sort of a stigma on what people, who people think are the ones that are that are dealing with mental health issues. I mean, it's I not it's not exactly the picture that you have in your mind. It could be. Your neighbor. It could be anybody walking by you in the street, someone you've known forever and you could have no idea. And I think especially with the pandemic and everybody's limits on where they can go and losing jobs. I mean, you know, we've got people that are hungry that you would consider middle working class that still need oh, yeah. food and need help. <clears throat> so I think um, you know, I-, I love that you you touch on those subjects because I think we need to remember it's not the stereotype that you're picturing in your mind. I mean, everybody is going through it, people that you wouldn't even think. And, and yeah, I, you absolutely.
2: Know. It's the people who are educated. It's the people who went to college with you. Mm-hmm. It's the people who work at your job. Um, you know, right. we have so much access here in this world in this country specifically, but yet a lot of people have no ways of getting it. That's right. So people are just barely getting by, um, Mm -hmm. and I think what's going to happen over time is we're going to see that mental illness is going to become one of those issues that is a massive public health crisis. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm hoping for myself and my colleagues right now is that we can do as much work to do more preventative care with the people that we're treating, because as we treat individuals, individuals will end up having a better life and having healthier relationships. But we can't do it by ourselves, and and they're doing more than they can to to just sustain a life that they can live right now. But we have to wait and see what's going to happen. And I'm hoping this election will at least prove that people in the government see that and do Mm -hmm. something before it worsens.
1: No, I I agree. I absolutely agree. And you know, this show that we do, it's called Exceptional Women. And I, I want to ask you because I think, I mean, to me, you're exceptional. What you're doing is so important. And the message that you're getting out is so important and helping others is so important. But I wonder who are some of your female role models or maybe someone in your life that inspires you on a daily basis to remain positive and calm?
2: Mm, Thank you for that. I actually get inspiration from everyone. I'm inspired (laughs) by the children in my family, Um, just the joy that they have, their innocence. I'm inspired by just art and, and life and being able to get up and do what I love every day. So my inspiration actually comes from various sources. And my father, who's now deceased, who I dedicated my book to, was probably my my greatest inspiration. He was a person who lived a very full life, learned all the way up until the end, was very present and there for you. And so for me, it it hasn't just been the women who I think have been helpful in my career, but it's also been the men, the children, and and just this beautiful world that I do still have a lot of hope in that we're going to actually make better.
1: Well, I appreciate your time with us this morning. I think this is so important. And I want to give out your website, too. It's lifecoachasha.com. And I'll put a link up to our uh, on our website as well. So listeners can get that once this interview um, ends. They can go right there. They can click. They can find out more about you. They can contact you if they need to. And I thank you so much for the, the work that you're doing. I I love that you're helping others. I think it is so important, not just today, but every day. And we really appreciate you being on the show here in Boston.
2: Thank you for having me. It's been awesome.
1: Thank you to Asha Tari for being in the spotlight today on Exceptional Women. We talk to celebrities, CEOs, and your neighbors who are quietly making an impact in their communities. Go to magic1067.com and email us if you know someone who you think is exceptional and should be featured on our podcast. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Sue.Tab and at Kendra the Entertainer. Sue and I love talking with all of you, so be sure to join us every Sunday morning for another edition of Exceptional Women. Have a great day, everyone.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on What's in Your Podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds.